we're going to introduce one more, one more beer tonight. Um, but there is, I do want to touch on that. So one second. <laughs> uh, our last, our last beer for the night is going to be the Great Lakes Christmas Ale. This is in Cleveland, by the way. I don't know if you know this, Brian, but in Cleveland, this is one of the most famous Christmas ales yeah. in the country in Cleveland. Yeah. Ooh. So yeah. They sell this every year, and it is the top-selling Christmas ale inside the, yeah. you know, all of Ohio. Yep. So, oh, go ahead, go ahead, Mike. Go Do ahead. not open till Christmas. Whoever <laughs> coined the, that phrase obviously hasn't tasted Christmas ales, fresh honey, cinnamon, and ginger flavors, a Yuletide's worth worth of holiday spices, and sweet honey to keep you a wassailing. All season long. It's got <laughs> an go. ABV of 7.5% and an IBU of 30. And once again, it's got that nice, dark, nutmeg-type uh, <clears throat> look to it. Uh, it's clear, though. I can see Mike through it. So, <laughs> Your beer goggles. <laughs> right? <laughs> this is probably my favorite Christmas ale right here. This is really good. I would yeah. oh say, my Lord. Compa- if we were to compare the two, I don't know if the bourbon was still, but... It, I had a hard time differentiating. Like the okay. last one had kind of a bourbon esque. This is way more festive. Okay. Uh, the spices are yeah very apparent. Mm. Yeah. It's it's you can it has actually has a stronger nutmeg flavor than the previous one. I think. Yeah. I think feels a bit fuller. Yeah. I feel a wassailing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm surprised the IBU is higher because it it's not very bitter. It's not at all. If you go back to Revelation, um, it, it does say that there are twelve pillars, right? And then, and and all of Revelation dictates twelve pillars once in, in in heaven, which means that the twelve apostles were the final authority. Mm. Good point. As they are the twelve pillars in heaven, because oh, okay. the twelve pillars uh, are named after them. Twelve gates, right? Twelve angels. Well, yeah, 12 foundations. Oh, that's what you're talking about, the 12 foundations. Right. On them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. I didn't know that that word foundation could be called, could be pillar. That's interesting. That that makes sense. Interesting, cool. isn't it? <laughs> yeah. But, or, or, you know, I mean, and again, Ephesians 2, right? I mean, uh, this is just so, this is so clear to me. You know, Ephesians 2, uh, 17 to the end, you know, talks about, how, well, by the way, this is another one of those passages of the Hebrew Roots movements. It's just, I quoted this, and they just they just tried to, like, spin the words and twist. It was just so <laughs> funny, because it's like, it's so clear that yeah. uh, that Ephesians 2.15 says, Christ broke down the dividing wall of hostility between Jew and Gentile, which is, by the way, all those dietary laws you're promoting right. separates Jews from Gentiles, right? Uh, and, and I'm like, and, and it says Jesus broke down the dividing wall of hostility in his flesh on the cross by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. So he's saying it right there that, you know, all the, all the ordinances, all the, the, the commandments are abolished. They're abolished because 
Jew and Gentile are now one in Christ. Yet the whole point of all the separation laws, separate lint or linen and cotton and all this kind of stuff and don't eat fish and shellfish and blah, blah, blah. It's all about separating Jew from Gentile. So if that's no longer in effect, you can't be enforcing those laws. They make no sense. Anyway, I'm, I'm off. I got which which you even go from a historical, biblical historical point would be the vision that Peter had. Yeah. Yeah. So where the you know the things came down and the things that were forbidden all of a sudden now are acceptable. Now they would say, "Oh, that's just symbolic. That's not actually you know that was symbolic <laughs> about accepting Gentiles who eat the, that food." To which I say, "Yeah, it is, but it's a symbol that is still violating the law, the law of God. <laughs> right? That's yes. the whole point. It's still a symbol that violates the law of God because you're not supposed." You weren't supposed to accept Gentiles who who did who ate, ate that stuff, you know? Right, right. Anyway, so back to what we're saying, though. Um, so he says, you're no longer strangers and aliens, but fellow citizens of God, the household of God, which is is reference to the temple, built on the there that word again that you said, the foundation of the apostles. That's powerful. The right? apostles are the foundation of the temple of God and the prophets, Christ Jesus being the cornerstone. The cornerstone of the temple was the te- was the stone was the measuring. Uh, how do how do we put it? It was the stone upon which the entire temple was based. Yeah. Right, it was the plumb line, the perfect right yeah. corners, the measurements, and everything. Right, and so if the cornerstone is Jesus, then obviously the cornerstone is spiritual. That means the building built upon that is spiritual, folks. Right, mm-hmm. in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you are built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. That phrase, into a dwelling place by God for, for God by the Spirit, that's what all the old covenant prophets kept saying. When I return in Messiah, I will dwell in my people. And they're saying this is fulfilled right here and there. Yeah. And so my point was was about that, the, the beauty and the power of this, this new holy spiritual temple. The, the temple has been rebuilt, folks. It actually already has. It's a spiritual <laughs> one. And we are its bricks. And we're, I'm not just saying this symbolically as if, like, oh, it, how can we avoid the historical reality? No, what I'm saying is the apostles themselves said, this is the fulfillment yeah. right here. The spiritual Absolutely. temple is the fulfillment. Absolutely. Yeah. Just like Pink Floyd said, we're all bricks in the wall. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> kind of wall. The, uh, <laughs> the, true, the true last great prophet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the uh to touch on a few other things i'm I'm kind of interested so your your archangels did you base your archangels off of people you know because they're they have very uh very active personalities yes so. yes you make a good point and, and that was another risky thing that i did because you know again we have these we have these and i had them too false assumptions about well angels are going to be these oh holy good you know <laughs> <laughs> la di da, like no character, no personality, right? And um, and I thought about this, and I thought, you know what? No, I mean, they don't have to be sinners to have a personality, right? Right. So why can't one of them be a jokester? Why can't one of them, you know, be sarcastic or whatever, you know? And I just started realizing, and sometimes the people who don't like it, that that's what they say. It's like, no, you make the angels seem like they're just a bunch of jerks and just a bunch of humans. And I'm like, well, wait a minute. They're created beings. 
They have flesh. Yep. It's not earthly flesh. It's heavenly flesh, but it is flesh. And they have personalities. Why wouldn't they have individual personalities? Why wouldn't they be like us, but maybe without the sin, right? Right. And so, yeah, so that's what I did. So I took my, um, Michael, Gabriel, mm. um, Uriel, and Raphael. Those are the four that have been... The only two in the Bible that are noted are Gabriel and Michael, but right. in extra biblical books, uh, we get the names of seven actually other archangels. There's also one called Sarakel and and uh, Remiel, yeah, and another one. And I got that from the Book of First Enoch and from some other Jewish sources. Well, you know, Tobit, that do have these other Tob- names. Tobit has Raphael. Uh, so they're yeah, they're legends and yeah. stuff. So what? You know, who knows? But. Yeah. Um, but so I thought, yeah, well, if we're going to have this band of archangels uh, with each other for eternity, and they're going to have, they're individuals, they're human, they are not human, they're, they're individuals and they have personalities. So I wanted to make them that way. So, you know, I made Michael the, sort of the, you know, the big brother who's responsible and, you know, sometimes a little stuffy. And, and then I have uh, Gabriel and Uriel have this, you know, eternity long uh, sort of competition between each other. And I made Uriel be uh, a small, for some reason, God made him small. So they tease him about that. But he ends up being one of the better fighters. He compensates for it. He's got, you know, he's, he's, a, he's the better swordsman. And he's real witty. He uses his humor, kind of like Chandler from Friends, you know, the TV <laughs> show. You know, he uses his humor to tease Gabriel. And so they tease, tease each other back and forth, right? <laughs> and uh, it's just a fun fun thing because my, my whole thing is, is like, you know, holiness. And this is what I try to do in my books and my novels. We have this false notion that like holiness is boringness, you know? Yeah, yeah. If yeah. you're holy... You will not not make jokes because you're so tuned into God. Basically, it's the false picture of mysticism, you know? It's like, it's what we think mystics are. But I think Jesus Gnostic. joked around and, you know, I th- why not? You know, I mean, yeah. I think I think a holy person would, would have fun. And so I decided to do that. I, I would have my angels have poke around and have fun and and they're 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 able to um, make jokes about things and and um, I, I just felt that that made it more—I was going to say human, but uh, <laughs> more, more of uh, more realistic, you know. And uh, yeah, so this whole thing of holiness, you know, uh, and that's why I even have Jesus. I, I think you even have Jesus in my in my book, Jesus Triumphant. He he cracks a couple jokes. He does. In there. He does. <laughs> yeah, um, because that's what I believe. You know, I believe that God God loves laughter, right? God mm-hmm. God. Um, uh, God loves beauty. Uh, he mm-hmm. loves art and creativity. Mm-hmm. These are things that are waste, seem like a waste of time to us, right? Right. And so I also think in personality types, God creates us with certain personality types, right? Uh, so why can't we celebrate that? And why can't we celebrate yeah. that in angels as yeah. well? But he even said it in his word, even Proverbs talked about laughter is good medicine. Yeah. He talks yeah. about uh, and how David danced and... and, and and creativity and things mm-hmm. with that, so that 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 if 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 we didn't if we didn't have those things, life would be like you say, boring and stiff. Yeah, yeah, well, it, yeah. But we, I gotta admit, even even myself, when I was first starting to write these angels, you know, and teasing each other and stuff, it kind of felt awkward to me because I'm like, it, it felt uh, what's <laughs> the word? Um, um, uh, where you're not taking something seriously enough or something, you know, (laughs) Uh, you know, but because I felt Mm -hmm. like I had that same prejudice built into me 
that yeah. said, you know, oh, if you're going to be angels, they're just going to be perfect and they're just boring, you know, like without personality and just perfect with beautiful hair and whatever, you know, and I'm like, <laughs> no, and they're all tall and handsome. It's like, no, why, why can't they, why can't one of them be small, you know? Well, you, you've, <laughs> you've, you've, you've seen, uh, you've seen Dogma, right? What? You, you've seen Dogma, right? With Kevin Smith? The movie? Oh, yes, yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, I, I think one of the most hilarious things he says in there is, well, yeah, God has a sense of humor. Haven't you seen your faces during coitus? <laughs> <laughs> a little, risk, a little uh, risque humor, but yeah, absolutely. You know, but that, <laughs> right. That's another thing I did, you know, and I knew it would be shocking to, to some Christian readers, but I'm like, you need to be shocked because if, if, you, if you're offended by this, you have an unbiblical view. Mm, so right. in the book on Abraham, Abraham Allegiant, you know, um, of course, Abraham and Sarah, you know, right. very famous, right, in, in our history. But also, you know, I, I depicted them as, and they were childless, right? Yeah. And my wife and I are childless, actually. So I knew, I drew from a lot of, of what, what kind of a relationship do you have when you can't have children? It's a very, it's a much more closer, intimate one, because all you've got is each other, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, um, but it's also a very affectionate and, and loving one, right? And so I actually... I have a scene, it's not graphic, but I do have a scene where, um, you know, Abraham and Sarah are having sex and God shows up, you know, I remember. <laughs> he That's interrupts great. them. He interrupts I remember. them. You know? He and, does. And like, oh, he does. And hold the cover and goes, what do you think? I haven't seen you. <laughs> right. you <know? laughs> and, 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 but I also think that that's beautiful because it's like, of course, we're you're in you're when you're having married sex, you're, you're doing it in God's eyes and it's beautiful to God. And he likes it. And he goes, you know, oh, don't worry, finish up. You know, I'm, you know, uh, I, I created something, <laughs> something like that. I can't, I can't remember what I said, but, uh, you know. Catch you when you're done. I need more bourbon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But don't worry, uh, Christians, I, I'm not explicit. I don't describe any details. It's just sort of, yeah. uh, I paint a, a, a picture and then I keep moving. No, no, so it, just, it, was a, it was a funny scene. I remember, I remember as, I was, as I was reading it, I, 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 Physically started laughing because it was it was a very funny scene. <laughs> Just don't expect it, you know. Yeah. But why would God sees you all the time? So right. It's, it's a valid you? point. Yeah, yeah, very valid. <laughs> no, I I thought it was I thought it was hilarious. I I started busting up laughing. I I pulled over. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was laughing when I was writing it, dude. I'm telling you, yeah. Well, it is a yeah. spiritual moment when you think about <laughs> yeah. it. You know. Absolutely. In I, fact, I, I believe literally, you know, there's lots of passages that talk about that, you know, it likens the, you know, uh, the love of Christ for his church in, in, in yeah. those terms as a love of a husband and wife, right? And mm-hmm. and so it is very intimately connected to the love of God is our love and un- union in marriage is a reflection of a spiritual union with God. And that's mm-hmm. why I'm not, I used to be against, I used to be really against the mystics for their erotic imagery, you know, but I have a little bit more, a little bit more acceptance and understanding of them now because I realize, mm-hmm. you know, it wasn't some sick, twisted thing. You know, it it really, it really is a sort of a reflection. Uh, um, erotic goodness can be a very powerful metaphor for our love and unity with God. Yeah, mm-hmm. he made it right. Actually, I was listening to. Um, there's a, a podcast by uh, Ancient Faith Radio from. Uh, uh, Elder uh, Trapon, uh, 
and it was beautiful. There was one I was listening to this morning on uh, on sexuality, and he and he he states, you know, sexuality was created by God as a beautiful art form to be performed between a man and a wife, and it's symbolic of God's interaction with humanity, and it's 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 beauty. Yeah, you know, so it's yeah, yeah it was yeah. wonderful. And that's, by the way, that's another one of my goals throughout my whole Chronicles of the Nephilim series, uh, and and in Apocalypse as well, is I wanted to literally um, show good, true married love in a in a uh, godly context, mm-hmm. um, rather than like shunning it or or ignoring it because that's dirty or because you know oh we 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 shouldn't you know we shouldn't have things like that in our stories as Christians. It's like, no, if it's good and God created it, then we must celebrate it appropriately, just like the Song of Solomon. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if anyone's ever studied that, that's a yeah. very erotic piece of literature, right? It really is. So my goal was was to make marriage beautiful and, and marriage sexuality beautiful, and I contrasted it with the godless sexuality, which is, you know, grotesque and horrible. And I remember uh, 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 Abraham Allegiant was was very strong. You know, I, I, I dealt with the sexuality of um, Nimrod, uh, or no, not, uh, what was it? Yeah, yeah, it was Nimrod of Babylon, of Babel, right, in, in that time <laughs> period. And I contrasted his sexuality with Abraham and Sarah's. And so I even, you know, I described the, 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 the honeymoon night of Abraham and Sarah, you know, uh, but again, I, I believe I, I did so as tastefully as I could, and I, oh, I didn't was. dwell on details, yeah. no, but no, I tried was... to show, this is beautiful. You know, marriage sex, marriage sexuality is beautiful, so let's celebrate it appropriately. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And as Christians, I think that that's important that we, we do that and, and enforce that, you know? Yeah. And and then, and my goal, so, and and I do think people, when they read it, they get that impression. It's like, no, he's, I'm not, I'm not exploiting it. I'm not writing sexual, you know? Yeah. I'm, I'm showing this is the beauty of marriage of what sexuality can be, and here's what it is in contrast with the world and how mm. ugly. No, and I, I make the sexuality of the world ugly. I, I thought you and did not a, erotic. I thought you did a great job because you contrasted the beauty of of two two people believing in the ultimate authority of of the Godhead, um, you know, and and the love they had for each other, contrasting with, you know. The Nephilim and and they're little, literally raping of each other, you know. So yeah. it's like you know, you know. I, I and thought the watchers, was, right? Yeah. So I thought yeah, it was, because you know, this brings us back to uh, Genesis six, which is interesting because um, you know Genesis six is where the Nephilim first show up, and um, it's where this notion of the sons of God having sex with women, and if you read that. It's like, this is before the flood. This is where a lot of the violence came from. It says, when men began to multiply in the face of the land, Genesis 6, verse 1, uh, the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were attractive, and they took as their wives any they chose. Yeah. And then um, and that, that phrase, they took as their wives, is, is a, it sounds a lot tamer than it is in the Hebrew. That phrase, they took is a forceful language. So it's probably raping and forcing them. Yeah. And uh, so it's not like, oh, they married people. It's like, no, they they raped and forced women to 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 be their sexual conquests, right? Right, right? So to me, that's the whole context of the text, precisely, is that this is what the these fallen sons of God, these watchers do. They engage in in uh, uh, they break the earthly and heavenly divide. Hmm. That's the whole point. When God created 
when God created in Genesis, why does he always talk about separating, separating the land from the from the sea, separating man from woman, separating this, right? It's separation is 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 the concept is what holiness is based on. And that's why the it's you know it's rooted in the Torah, which is having to do with separation, right? But one of those separations is the separation of the heavenly and the earthly. And mm-hmm. so one of the implied separations here is that the um, the angelic divine world must not have um, sexual interaction, you know, intimate mm-hmm. interaction with the human world. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Now it doesn't say that explicitly, but I think that that's what is being implied. It's there's a violation of that separation right. of the heavenly earthly divide. But it, yes, but it is a covenant. It, is it a covenant? The covenant between a relationship between a man and a woman is a covenant. Yeah. 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 Uh, go, go, go ahead, Kelly. Well, I want to ask you about your, you know, you have a lot of experience in Hollywood and writing in Hollywood in lieu of everything that's going on in terms of sexuality in Hollywood these days with all these producers and actors being taken down one by one. How far have we pushed that envelope here in America? Hmm. And is there any relation to this? Could you see any relations to the fallen ones taking women as their own and forcing wow. them? Versus what we do in Hollywood and exploiting yeah. that in movies to infiltrate all of America. That's good. Yeah, especially with all know. the Weinstein's. I mean, what's kind of your and, viewpoint on yeah. that and what's happening well, with Hollywood? And you know, f- from my perspective, it's sort of like, well, you know, you guys, when you have an entire system that's based on mocking and attacking Christianity, right? Uh, uh, the Handmaid's Tale, right? Um, <laughs> I haven't seen Christians it yet. are evil. Christians are leches. Christians are murderers. Uh, you know, and Christianity is an oppressive, patriarchal, fascist regime, right? And you're always showing Christian uh, uh, relationships and and families as being dysfunctional and destructive, right? Yeah. And you mock Christian uh, morality of like being a virgin before you're married, you know. And, you know, when you do this and you mock morality and you, and you, morality is relative and how dare you impose your mm. morality on others, right? When you enforce this whole system mm. that is anti-Christ and anti-biblical and yeah. mocking morality and sexual morality and saying we should be free to have sex with whoever we want, whoever we love, right? Why is it a surprise that this is how, and, and that yeah. this is how men end up acting? And by the way, also that, that, you know, women can be just like men and, you know, we should be able to just be just as promiscuous, which I believe neither should be. But nevertheless, <laughs> right. you know, the male nature is uh, definitely a, uh, male nature is different than female nature. But when you're trying to dis- destroy the differences between male and female, you're making a, everything become the same. This is what you get. Yeah. This is what mm. the ma- male monster becomes. And you're you created it. <laughs> it's yeah. Like, what are you talking about? You said for them to go in and be sexual and you laughed at you know, all the years, all of them covered up. It's the, the, the real atrocity, the real shock should not be that these men did it. It's that all the women enabled them and kept it hidden. Not the women who got attacked. I'm saying the women right. in power, along with the men in power, everyone, even those who weren't doing it, were part of covering up and accepting it. Well, of course you can, because they don't believe that morality is a big issue. Now all of a sudden it becomes a big issue. Sexual morality is often an issue. Yeah. Only yeah, because yeah. it's rooted in a in a uh, leftist, feminist uh, hate theory that is not going to end good. Yeah. Uh, it's yeah, it's yeah. a witch hunt. That's, and yeah, and they're, yeah, yeah. they're getting some real witches. I uh, agree. But, yeah. but, 
but there's going to be already you see already what's happening, right? There's no no evidence is needed, no evidence on 20 years ago, and all of a sudden they're guilty. Well, I'm right. sorry, they probably are. They probably are. I don't doubt that a lot of the a lot of what the women are saying is true, but if you live in a society where you no longer where you jettison due process and no longer are you innocent until proven guilty, you're creating a Frankenstein monster that's far worse. Than, than the injustice you're trying to address. Yeah. You yeah. just don't realize it until it starts to happen to you. Right. So and now we've got a lot of men who are claiming uh, that they're lying. Yeah. You know, and I think, uh, you know, one example to me was Jeremy Piven. I think he, yeah. he took a lie detector test. He, I don't know if he's innocent or not, but he took a lie detector test and passed it. And he says, I want these women to take a lie detector test. Mm. Oh. That's smart. To that me, is. that's fair. Because that if you're going to sit, if you're going to just, Tell the world, well, this guy raped me or this guy forced me to whatever. It's like, and you think that that makes you, just because you say it, it's true? That's right. absurd. Right. And yeah. so these women have to be accountable for what they're saying. And right. So do the men who are doing it. And and I can't deny that I'm I'm happy to see a lot of these these bastards go down because <laughs> it, yeah. it really is rampant and it really is as bad as you think it is it's yeah, worse sure, actually sure, 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 sure. i mean yeah. we've got pedophilia rings going on in the mm. homosexual side of yeah. hollywood right so this stuff is going on it really is going on but but as always uh you know the, the this gets back to uh um vigilantism you know it's like mm. yeah we want to see this justice it's good to see people get the comeuppance but Vigilante, vigilanteism does end up in innocent people being destroyed and murdered yeah. and killed. Yeah. And so you've, you've got to do things through due process. That's why we're a nation of laws. And I think that that's the scariest thing of all is we are now, as a culture, we're jettisoning, mm. jettisoning uh, the rule of law and replacing it with the rule of emotion and yeah. leftist ideology, which is fascism. And mm -hmm. this is not going to end well for us. Yeah. And so it's the beginning. It's like, wow, nice to see him fall. But now it's like, no, this is fascism. This is going to get worse. Right. And I don't yeah. know. What? Yeah. Yeah, I, 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 I hate to say this, but I, I think this is actually a good part of evolution inside the human species in our society. Because if, <laughs> if you look at it, right? <laughs> if, if you look at it, um, the fact that we're moving towards something that is culturally, let's say the next stage where everybody has more respect for each other and nobody's forcing themselves on each other. It's almost, I think it's better. I mean, you can't tell me that a few of these people and I, I won't name a lot of names, but, um, there's definitely a few people that are, have been found guilty and, in all of oh, this no, debacle, I agree. I agree. You know? And look, as a, like I say, yeah. as a Christian, I'm already. I agree with, you know, I agree in principle that women should not be abused. But the problem is, is it's now bleeding over to you know, um, uh, getting a picture taken with someone and squeezing them is sexual harassment. That's right. making that's making crimes out of what is vulgar. Yeah. And boorish behavior and inappropriate, but you can't make crimes out of this because right. if you do, you're criminal. And here's what I think is the goal. So it's one of those things where, there, uh, like mm. I said, a witch hunt gets catches some real witches, but it, at at the, at the price of what? You I know, hear destroying you. Destroying yeah. you know hundreds yeah. of non witches. I hear you. And the that, problem that was is, is that 
they're driven not by appropriate sexual inter- interaction yeah. like Christians say. You have to remember, this is a culture, Hollywood culture hates God, has nothing to do with that. Yeah. What it has to do with is their attempt to dis- to um, to emasculate, destroy masculinity yeah. and the, the traditional forms of masculinity, at, which, to which I say, I certainly agree that the abuse of male power is wrong, but that doesn't make all male power wrong. <laughs> right. It means just because you have power or just because you're a man and you act in certain ways, you have to, like I have to restrain myself, but that doesn't mean I'm, I, I, what I am as a man and my masculinity is itself inherent. This is where you get the term toxic masculinity. They're trying to say all masculinity is wrong and toxic. They're trying to, to neuterize male and destroy them. And, and that's where I think the feminist, the third wave feminism has really infected the left and, and Hollywood is all the left and that's what they all are. So um, that's where I see it. There's a, there's a, uh, uh, there's some good that's coming out of it, of course, uh, just like the Puritan. It's funny that the, now the Hollywood left are the Puritans, right? They always used to mock, <laughs> oh, you Puritanical Christians, you evangelical Puritanical <laughs> Christians. They're the Puritans now because they're like saying, you can't even hug a woman. You know what I mean? Yeah. Guys are losing their jobs because they're huggers. Right. I'm like, mm. really? Who's the Puritan now? Right. 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 It's absurd. So I it's agree. dangerous. It's, it's going agree. too far is the problem. I agree. It is going, yeah. It doesn't always go too far before there's a balance. <laughs> well, how far Maybe. were we the other way? Yeah, I mean, how far, you know, how extreme were we already to be? I mean, if with? if you look at it, I I mean, and I could be wrong, but if you look at it historically, I think that your even your John Waynes were very acceptable in society because they were masculine. They weren't afraid to uh, throw a guy across the table. To relate to uh, an interaction he had with the Rat Pack, right? Where... Right, right. But but here's the difference: is that old masculinity, which I actually, infor- I uh, I agree. I I think John Wayne's a great example for for what a man should be. But they had a code of chivalry. Yeah. And chivalry was you protect the women, you don't treat them that way, right? Exactly. So what the men are doing yeah. is not really traditional male mis- masculinity. Right. Because chivalry is what feminism hates too. How dare you open a door for me? How dare yeah. you treat me as if I'm frail? But see, this is the this is what's also being rejected, which is why I say, yes, there's some good coming out of it. Absolutely, I agree. But what I think is, it, it's very important for us to understand, uh, or it's very important for us to to highly value the reasons for certain uh, social moral changes. Those are just as important as what's happening. So, in other words, like, um, why you know what I'm saying is 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 the reasons why they're doing this is ultimately not good even right. though on the surface right now it appears like well they're pointing out some real true things right they're they're pointing out sexual predators yeah, that's good but what they're really doing is they're really trying to destroy true masculinity trying to destroy their hating god you know what i'm saying so yeah. because they're motivated by an anti-biblical anti-christ motive whatever good that's happening on the surface now is going to be gone because what you end up your 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 end will be what your premise is and what i'm arguing is that their premise is not we must treat women respectfully yeah i don't think it is they yeah, say no, they might, they'll yeah. say that but yeah. we should treat women respectfully according to our leftist feminist ideology which i do not agree with and that ideology is ultimately 
the enemy of Christianity. So they're trying to destroy Christianity, but they're starting out on the surface with things that we would agree with, right? We, yeah. Of course we agree with this. Yeah, yeah no, I agree with that. I, there's Good a, it's, it's complex. Good it's not a simple issue. Yeah. No, it's not at all. Yeah. And a lot of the executives, top, top executives, have huge political ties and are huge political donors. So there's always a political angle. Yeah. Absolutely. And it's so, dark, man. It's yeah. It's very yeah. dark. Yeah, there's not just so, one motive. Uh. But, you know, it's, it's the... Look, you guys... This is the argu- this is the argument of Daredevil. Uh, did you see the Daredevil series? Oh, I, I love it. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and, and even the Punisher, you know. Uh, but the idea is, you know, is it right for you know how far do we work outside the law? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. You may be do the ends justify the means? Right. And right. if you if you if the ends justify the means, you'll start out doing good, but what you'll end up doing is bad. Yeah. And and that's why it's just as important why you're why you're changing social mores mores as it is the change itself. And yeah. that's where I'm saying the reason why they're doing this is not for a good it's not for ultimately it's it's a mixed motives, you know. There is some good reason behind it, but there's a lot of very political intent behind what they're doing that is I think is going to be bad in the long run. So. Yeah. So yeah. I don't support for instance, you know, um I don't support all of them just because you make a claim, yeah. uh, therefore fire the guy. You know, it's like, I don't think that that's necessarily appropriate unless there's good, strong evidence and argument for it, you know? Um, but sometimes yeah. it's just literally just some woman saying this. Well, yeah. how do you know it's even true at all? Yeah. Right. Well, cause I tweeted it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now the, the, the upside though is, is all these guys, they've, They've been getting away with it for decades, That's literally true. decades. So there is the tendency to have multiple ex- examples. Oh, yeah. No, yeah, We've oh, got yeah. multiple yeah. testimonies building. Right. I think oh, it does be, <laughs> tend to be more strong evidence. Right. You know? right. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 That's uh, was get it, to get us back on track. Yeah. <laughs> um, in your stories, I love how they kind of all come out of the gigantomachy. The, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, one of the things I try to do is I try to integrate the biblical stuff with, you know, some Jewish legends as well as pagan uh, mythology. Um, and, and what I mean by that is not because I think that it's all myth and, you know, it's all made up, but rather because I think that there are uh, real world explanations for why there are ancient myths. And I think that there's connections to the Bible. So for example, you said the gigantomachy. Um, there's two things in Greek religion, uh, the gigantomachy and the, the titanomachy, gigantomachy. Yeah. And I, I kind of forgot some of the details of it. So that's why I'm just Googling it, you know? No, no, that's so okay. yeah, the gigantomachy was the battle that in Greek mythology where the fight between the giants and the sons of Gaia or Uranus and the Olympian gods were trying to overthrow them. Um, but there's also, I, I don't know, I think it, Titanomachy was a different battle. Um, the Titanomachy, uh, the ten titans. series of battles fought in Thessaly consisting mostly of the Titans. Yeah. Um, or of God, uh, older generation of gods versus the Olympians. Yeah. So that was more like the gods fighting. So, um, but I try to, I try to root those, mythical stories in what might have really been referring to and 
And so um, many, uh, you know, historically savvy Christians will and, and theologians will point out that the the notion of the giants uh, in Genesis, um, you know, causing the flood, and in in Jude it talks about and Second P, Peter it talks about how. Uh, the angels that sinned were bound, were bound in the earth, imprisoned in the earth. Well, this is very, very similar to these uh, Titanomachies and Gigantomachies. These Greek things where the Titan, the giants fought, and uh, and they were imprisoned in the earth. And it even says that they were imprisoned in Tartarus. And that's very interesting because the um, the Tartarus shows up in the New Testament. It does. Yes. Under and Paul. that was, um, in Second Peter 2, it says, If God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell. And that word hell is a bad translation. It's actually Tartarus, which is the deepest depths of Hades. Right. And committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until judgment. If he didn't spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, how much more will he destroy, right? And so um, this is a reference to, like, at the time before the flood. This is that reference in, in Second Peter, and Jude also references it. But the point is, is he says, cast them into Tartarus. Right. And that's exactly where the giants in Greek mythology were cast. So these, this is a similar, of course, in this case, it's the angels, not the giants, right? Yeah. But, um, but they don't have to be exactly the same. The point is, is the imagery is very similar and um, and I think that uh, uh, I think it's important for us to recognize those similarities and we can have a better understanding of the real meaning, because otherwise, you know, uh, Christians will read Second Peter and come up with some other ways to describe this. Oh, no, this is I don't even know what they come up with, to be honest with you. But but um, to me, it's pretty clear that this is talking about the angels who sinned were the ones who had sex with the women in Genesis six. They were cast into Tartarus, committed to chains of darkness until the judgment. In other words, what they did was so violating of God's holiness, holy that he he imprisoned them, right? Um, and and uh, Christians will try to you know explain that away by I don't know I don't know how, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> this is another problem with the word hell in our Bible. It's unfortunately we have this notion of hell, right? Hell, it's the eternal burning fire and and all this kind of stuff. And while that imagery is used in some places. The word hell in, in English is unfortunately translated for words that don't mean that. It's, Gehenna. It's, it's, it's the word Hades. Yeah. Uh, they'll translate Hades, which Hades is not hell. Hades right. is not burning fires. It's the place of the dead. It's Sheol. Gehenna, it's the black Sheol, right, darkness. Yeah. Sometimes Gehenna is translated as hell. Yeah. And Gehenna was, uh, has, a, has a history of interpretation that goes back to the Old Testament, the Valley of the Sons of Hinnom, and it was a place where Moloch people sacrificed their sons to Moloch, so uh, or Molech, sorry Moloch, Molech, and God destroyed uh, Israel before doing that, and He called that the Valley of Slaughter, and it's the Valley of Hinnom, and and so that becomes a metaphor for God's judgment on Israel or whatever, right? And um, that's still judgment, and it's still suffering. So I'm not denying that, but what I'm saying is our traditional notions of hell are often imposed because of the bad English translations. I agree. I agree. And I I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't endorse the Jehovah's Witness version of it. But <laughs> but uh, I said I wouldn't I wouldn't endorse the Jehovah Witness version of it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but but no, no, I mean uh, 
uh, Sheol goes back to the Old Testament, you know, where it talks about the spirits of the Rephaim coming up to meet you. Um, and the lake of fire coming from, of course, the book of Enoch, you know, and, and then coming up across the New Testament from the book of Enoch, even into Revelation. So I, I find that all of that fascinating. Yeah, you know, um, we mentioned Jude earlier, and you know, Jude has a classic passage where it quotes from the book of First Enoch, but it doesn't just quote from Enoch. This is where he says in Jude 14, you know, Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousand of his holy ones to execute judgment on all who convict all the un and to convict all the ungodly of their deeds of ungodliness, right? And it's a quote literally from the book of First Enoch. And and he doesn't just quote from that though, all the content of Jude is actually referring to content from Enoch. Right. So, uh, there, like you said, there's a drawing from that text that we have to face and accept. It doesn't, you don't have to conclude that Enoch's scripture, but you do have to conclude that maybe we should grant some of this material a little bit more respect than we do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As Christians. Mm-hmm. As Christians. Fully agree. I mean, non-Christians Fully don't agree. have that problem. But I mean, Christians often do. It's sort of like, you know, I, look, I come from this tradition where it's it's a tendency to think like, well, if the Bible didn't say it, then it's not true. As if, like, only what, like, we, I do believe the Bible is, is our ultimate authority of what's true about God, but that doesn't mean there's no truth anywhere else, you yeah, know? Right. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah. know? Yeah. No, no, I agree. Bi- especially if the Bible quotes from other books. Yeah. I got to deal with it. I don't think I knew about the book of Enoch till I was 30. Yeah. 30 years old. Well, yeah. I was over 40, so. Yeah. I beat you on that one. <laughs> I, beat, I beat you on ignorance. <laughs> and you know, someone amazing? if someone would you have told me that stuff. that right? Christ quoted Enoch, I was over fifty. Yeah. When I would I have been upset. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what? Wait. What did you say about Christ quoting? Enoch? Yeah, I said if somebody oh, would yeah. have told me way back earlier that hey, you know Christ actually quoted Enoch, I would have, uh, you know I'd call them a liar. You know, like no, yeah. absolutely not. What? Do you, I, I'm not familiar with that. Can oh, you yeah. Me on that? Yeah. yeah. Jesus actually quotes him like eight times. Oh, wow. Really? Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm not, I don't have that down. That's, that's interesting. And it's kind of funny because it actually comes from one of the older denominations, and uh, they show you the, the links back and forth. Um, cool. Yeah. It was, it was in that's relation cool. to how much the, the Apocrypha is quoted across the New Testament because everybody, like, well, I won't say everybody. The evangelical movement <laughs> discounts yeah. everything in the Apocrypha. Oh, yeah, no, no, yeah. no. It's ridiculous. <laughs> but then if you actually go through the New Testament and you reference the material, a lot of it comes from the Apocrypha. So it's it's fantastic. You know, yeah. when you go back and you actually look at all the references. Yeah. Um, that's, yeah, that's, those are... Those are also books that I, I, you know, in my earlier Christian years did not learn to appreciate until in later years. Yeah. You yeah, know, right. you get over this this thing that only, you know, only the Bible says anything true. Therefore, nothing's true in anything else. <laughs> right. <laughs> but then if you think about it, what you define, and, and actually we covered this in, I think it was our third episode, uh, uh, the canons, right? We, co- we actually covered the canons because... Um, the evangelicals hold on to a later canon than the earlier testaments because Jesus quoted from the Septuagint, but the Septuagint included the Apocrypha. That's true. <laughs> so, so yeah, that's a that's profound, right? Yep. So, what do you define as the canon? 
So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Very good point. Yeah. Um, to touch on another subject, I love the fact that you incorporated the legend of Lilith in your books. That's fascinating. And you pulled in her two children as well, the two the twins. I thought that was that that was awesome. How how you had Lilith and then the the, the two twins that would entice people into the tree of li- of life and so the yes. world tree. That was that was fascinating. Lilith actually the word for Lilith demon does show up in the Old Testament. Right. It's in Isaiah um and um I don't I don't have it on my fingertips here, but uh, if, if one of you guys can find that one. Um, yeah, so anyway, but um, so, yeah, Lilith has this whole history, and, and even in Judaism it does too, but it, it's also rooted in, um, I think, Mesopotamian deities and stuff. And um, so uh, that's another one of the examples where I try to say, okay, I try to incorporate other ancient mythologies but I incorporate them, like we said earlier, I incorporate them as demonic realities rather than, you know, godly realities or whatever. Mm-hmm. So they're not myths, but they're more demonic, right? And so, yeah, so the story of Lilith, um, there's, a, there's a few different myths surrounding her. One of them, later ones, I think, is that Lilith was the was Adam's uh, first wife, I think, uh, uh, believe it or not. And uh, she didn't want to do what he said. So then God created Eve and then kicked Lilith out of the garden, right? Wow, I've uh, never heard that. That's one of them. But then also the Jewish legends have it that Lilith is the name of sort of like a wilderness demon that comes and uh, uh, takes kills ba- newborn babies and stuff like that. And she had these two, uh, two daughters, I think it was. And uh, in the myth, right? So yeah, so I brought Lilith into the into the Chronicles of the Nephilim because I wanted to bring those some of those pagan mythologies alive within all their demonic reality. Yeah. So and yeah. also, if you go to the website Gadawa.com, go to Chronicles of the Nephilim. Look at some of the novels there. I've got casts of characters, and I have little pictures of Lilith, and I describe her and stuff, and I show pictures of her daughters uh, from the novels. Oh, that, that's cool. That yeah, really it cool. is. It really is. <laughs> I I love I love the. Are those actors that you've you've uh, hired to take those pictures? No, no, no? that's stock photography. But I I had to do a lot of research to find images that I felt were you know would represent it really well. I'm amazed at how many I found were like that's a perfect image, you know. <laughs> so yeah, you did well because as yeah. I was going through the different pictures, I was like, oh, that's exactly how I think they look. Cool. <laughs> cool. Yeah, yeah, I love that. Some so, people don't agree. That some people thought, no, I, I, I don't want to see pictures of them. I want to see them in my head. I don't want, I don't want to see what you show. You know. <laughs> um, some, someone did that with um, my new series, Apoc- Chronicles of the Apocalypse. One of the main characters, which is now becoming one of my favorite characters, is Cassandra, the Christian. Um, and um, and I, I, I found this picture of, of a woman that I thought was pretty good, a redhead that I that I used on the website, and the guy told me like. Uh, she doesn't look pretty enough to me for what I was thinking. <laughs> and I, I thought about it. I had to agree with him. I'm like, yeah, I kind of, you know, for some reason she doesn't have that magical prettiness that I thought Cassandra would have. So I found a better one. And now the one I have now I think is really awesome. So, <laughs> but that's just the guy in me. There you go. Now the, um, the uh, Azazel has had a lot of influence in your books. 
that's uh you know i that this is where this is one where i'm going to probably rabbit trail a little bit because i find azazel fascinating because you have him in the old testament right leviticus 16 you have him in the, in the old testament and then you also have him across like you know uh, uh, the book of enoch and then you also have him in legends old jewish legends as well so um it's it, it's one of those ones that fascinates me. So so please elaborate. <laughs> yeah, well, what you're referencing is um, so Azazel actually shows up once in the Bible in Levit- Leviticus, and it's when God's in Ezekiel, uh, Leviticus 16 uh, verses 7 through 10, and and it's the description of the um, uh, one of the sacrifices of sin offerings. I can't remember which one. Atonement. It might have been. Yeah, I think it's the Day of Atonement actually. So this is the one that some people may have heard about where um, the high priest takes two goats, sets them before the Lord at the tent of the meeting, and Aaron casts lots over the goats. One of the lots is thrown for one goat for Azazel, and then the other one is thrown to be a uh, to sin offering for, for Yahweh. And then one that's, that's Azazel, you know, what's Azazel? Well, uh, that, that goat, it doesn't say, it doesn't describe it in the Bible. And it just says, and then that goat, they send that goat out into the wilderness as a scapegoat. They put the sins of the people. One goat for Yahweh takes the sins of the people and they sacrifice it. The other goat takes the sins and goes out into the wilderness as if, as a symbol symbolism of God, you know, takes our sins and throws them into the chaos of the wilderness, you know, never yeah. to be seen again, that kind of a thing, right? And it says it should be sent away into the wilderness to Azazel. And people go, what's Azazel? Who? What's that, right? <laughs> and actually, the only other the place where it's, it's never defined in the Bible, but it is in other extra-biblical literature, right. such as the book of Enoch. Right. And there it comes out that Azazel was the name of one of the premier leaders of the fallen sons of God we were talking about, these watchers in Genesis 6. He, Azazel and Semyaza were the two lead angels, mostly Azazel, and Azazel is, is, was a key watcher there, right? So, but basically, I think by the time, by the biblical times, what they're, what they're meaning there is not that Azazel, you know, and Azazel, by the way, was supposedly buried in the desert of Dudael. Right. No one knows right, where right. that is. But the point is, is he was buried in the desert. Right. So it's like you're sending this goat out to the desert to Azazel, right? But I think what it means is it's not that, oh, they they're doing a sacrifice to this false god of Azazel, the Jews, but rather that whole story of Azazel became a symbol, and Azazel became the symbol of the chaos. The chaos that is in the wilderness. The wilderness represented the chaos. It's untamed, right? But our covenant community is safe and orderly and covenanted with God, right? And so to send it out to the wilderness to Azazel is to send it out to chaos. So I see it as a very strong symbolism, but a reference to something that may be very much a reference to these watchers. Um, and and they called Azazel, uh, uh, let's see... Um, in these other legends, Azazel was a goat demon. Yeah, and so uh, they, they, the pagan Canaanites believed in satyrs and goat demons, and they sacrificed to them. And so um, there are other references 
to that that show up later in, in the text. Like, for instance, when uh, I can't remember where, but um, they let me see if I can find it. I, Israelites start sacrificing to these goat demons, and that makes God really ticked off. So he curses them. So, yeah, so here it goes. He, uh, uh, let's see. I love the way you incorporate those two because I didn't realize that the goat demons were a thing inside the, the Valley of Bashan. And the way you, you incorporate those two through peer-reviewed peer studies to dig it up was just awesome. I mean, yeah. Yeah. yeah, no, absolutely. So again, this is sort of like, I want to draw from the Bible as my main, you know, operating paradigm in Chronicles of the Nephilim and Apocalypse, but I want to draw from these other sources because it's all sort of integrated. And, and you know, it's, it's really pretty much what C.S. Lewis was doing. When C.S. Lewis wrote the Chronicles of Narnia, you know, he had pagan satyrs and centaurs in his Christian story, right? Oh, isn't that wrong? No. Right. His, his whole premise was, he said, yeah, but in, they're all subject to Aslan. And so they are, they are uh, limited within Aslan's world. So it's like he was mm-hmm. saying, when in Aslan's world, even the pagan deities are submitted to him, you know, that kind of a thing. So he's using these pagan images to show that, that God is Lord over all, even, even over these pagan images, Im- Im- imagery. And that's what I want to do as well in my stories is to say that uh, these pagan notions are just part of um, a distorted picture of what God has told us as well. So, you know, this idea of goat demons and Lilith and Azazel also are referenced whenever there's a, there's a destruction. Uh, let me see if I can find it. There's uh, some passages that talk about um, the destruction of Babylon and, and such. And it says that, you know, the, the, I can't find it in Jeremiah, you know, that the goat demons are dancing on the graves of Babylon, right? The satyrs, in other words, the satyrs are dancing and Lilith will be there as well. So in other words, they use all these pagan notions as, as, as representations of demonic reality of demons. In other words, Babylon is going to be destroyed and the demons are going to be dancing on their graves. That's kind of what, what Jeremiah and Isaiah is saying when they refer to this. Really fascinating. Now, now, how how much of the of the uh, book of the giants were you able to pull to use the the legend of Gilgamesh into your story? Because I I loved your visualization of Gilgamesh inside of your story. That was it was almost like it was it, it was almost like watching the old Disney film. Um, what was that with Mowgli and and uh, you know was, yeah Jungle Book yeah. Or, yeah, yeah right so. Yeah, Gilgamesh was another one that I've always wanted to retell the tale of Gilgamesh, but I, but I, I, and I wanted it to be accurate. So I even, I used a, uh, one of the scholarly, best scholarly sources on Gilgamesh, as well as the book itself. And so I retold the tale of Gilgamesh, but I incorporated it within my biblical worldview. And there are some theories that some believe that Gilgamesh is a, well, Gilgamesh is a, uh, legendary symbolic me- or um, mythical character, mm-hmm. but most people believe that he's based on probably someone in history that was just you know magnified, right? So who was it? Who was it? And I have a theory of what it is, and no one knows for sure, but um, I believe that he's he's incorporated in the Bible, and I'm not going to say mm-hmm. why because it'll spoil the twist. But <laughs> so um, Gilgamesh immortal. I retell the epic of Gilgamesh based on the original epic of Gilgamesh within its own context. And but I do so in a way that it it it, it blends in and incorporates with my biblical storyline. So if you if you read my book Gilgamesh Immortal, 
you're going to get an accurate picture of the original story, relatively accurate. But you're going to get you're also going to see how it may have been incorporated within a biblical worldview. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I tried to be really true to that to that original story because I I didn't want to I didn't want to destroy it because it's so powerful in and of itself, you know. Yeah, without revealing too much, I'm, I'm going to say it. I thought it was done brilliantly. <laughs> Thank, you. I, I, Thank I, you. I really did. I because I'm a guy who actually has read the stories of Gilgamesh and also the Book of the Giants, and and they kind of go hand in hand. Um, yeah. they they really do. Um, but then the way, the way that you retold them, it was perfectly in line with like both of them. So yeah, that's, that was my goal. That yeah, my goal. <laughs> right. So yeah, I thought it was great, and then uh, and even that, even then, all of your books uh, come in line with the whole Kampf, right? Uh, that you talk about, <laughs> right? So the yeah, Chaoskampf is that German term that has to do with it's a it's a word that means um, uh, uh, battle of the storm or something like that, and it basically is the notion that um, in ancient religions. The way that they described the authority of their god or gods um, being over uh, creating their order, their cosmological order, you know, whether it's the nation of Babylon or Israel, they use the language of chaos kampf, which is uh, the god, god or the gods battling the sea and the sea dragon. And the sea dragon represents chaos. And um, even that's that's the case even in the Bible. You yeah. know, um, God is depicted as battling the sea, and uh, all over the Book of Psalms and stuff, and and battling the sea dragon, which is called Leviathan. Now, here's what's something that's very interesting. Um, Psalm seventy four, Psalm seventy four is describing the um, them crossing the Red Sea under Moses. And that's when God establishes his covenant with his people, right? That's the beginning of him establishing his covenant. And in Psalm 74, 13, it says, You divided the sea by your might. You broke the heads of sea monsters on the waters. You crushed the heads of Leviathan. That word heads is plural, you guys. It's not singular. So in other words, Leviathan has multiple heads. And you gave them for the food to the creatures of the wilderness. You established the heavenly lights and the suns and fixed the boundaries of the earth. It's like describing the creation of the earth, right? But all he's describing is God creating his covenant. So in other words, it's clearly symbolic language of God saying, look, I'm going to establish my covenanted order. I'm going to create order. I'm going to push back the seas. I'm going to to, uh, crush the Leviathan of chaos and establish my covenanted order because I am the God of the universe, you know? And so this is a, the symbolism of Leviathan and, and sea dragons is a very, um, it all, you know, Babylon had it as well. Tiamat, the sea dragon was destroyed by Marduk. Yeah. Uh, and then that's how he created the heavens and the earth. He split the sea dragon in half and he created the heavens and the earth. Right. So, uh, the Hebrews use this, use this common imagery, but they, they, invest it with their own meaning and purpose. It's a little bit different for what they're trying to communicate, but it's symbolic. That's, and it's intentionally. So they don't believe that this stuff is literal monsters. They, they know it's poetic. You know? Absolutely. Absolutely. One last thing, one last thing before we end everything, because I found this fascinating is that the fact that Rahab is a girl 
a sword, and a beast. Okay, well, that's another element. And you gotta, you got to read my book, like, When Giants Were Upon the Earth, I explain all this. Um, Leviathan is not a dinosaur in the Bible. It's a sea dragon of chaos. And then sometimes uh, what I've found is they'll refer to the to Leviathan as Rahab. So in other words, you know, you know, just like uh, people have different, have double names, you know, people call them by one name and, you know, you are Peter, but, you know, Peter was called Cephas in Greek, right? And, right. And uh, Peter, in, I don't know, <laughs> multiple names for the same person. That's very common in the ancient world, right? Right. And so I think Leviathan was sometimes called Rahab, because if you look at the passages that Rahab are described, it's very much the same as, as Leviathan. And I don't know why, I, I don't know why, um, and I'm not even sure what that word means. So I use the words, in, actually I use the word Rahab to refer to the the original mother of the sea dragon of K- of Leviathan. So I just kind of play around with that a little bit. But but nevertheless, um, so so this Rahab is this notion of the sea dragon of chaos. And and it just so happens that Rahab was the name of the prostitute who who let the Ju- jo- uh, Joshua and the Hebrew spies in, right? Into Jericho. Great character, uh, by I the don't way. think, as a matter of fact, I'm pretty sure now that that's a different Rahab. Like it's spelled a little bit slightly differently, Rahab, um, right. in Hebrew. So it's not the same exact name, but in the English translation, it looks the same. See what I'm saying? So it's technically not the same name. Right. So I'm dealing with the English translation, and then, <laughs> um, so that there's no real connection between the two, and I don't make the connection. However, <laughs> right. there's a there's a fantastic sword from the supernatural sword forged in the mountains of Sahan, which is where Eden was, and uh, in the book of Enoch. And this is a sword, what I call a whip sword. And so it's like a sword that's about 10 feet long, but it's flexible like a whip, but it's it's unbreakable metal. So it's like, imagine a whip that's a sword, right? And that's and I call it, they, they, nick, they nickname it Rahab because it gives a, a mean bite like Rahab the sea dragon, right? So, and it's, you know, serpentine, the sword is serpentine. Like, so they, they name, they nickname it Rahab just because of the, you know, what it is, you know, that kind of a thing. So, um, yeah. And, and then that sword is a special supernatural weapon that ends up traversing the entire series, even into Chronicles of the Apocalypse. Yeah. I thought it was brilliant. I thought it was brilliant. I mean, me coming from a martial arts background, I was like, oh man, that is so cool. That is just so cool. <laughs> yeah. Now I cheated. I did actually do some research and I got the idea from, I think it's, is it Filipino or, uh, I think it's Indian. It's an Indian weapon that actually does exist. It, it, not, yeah. not exactly the way I have it, but they do actually have a whip sword yes. that they, they do things in. And that's where I got the yeah. idea from. So yeah, which is totally, totally awesome. <laughs> Yeah. I won't lie. I was. I can't imagine having to use that weapon though. That must be really scary. <laughs> oh my lord! Even just a three-sectional staff, because I I've used both you know nunchuck and three-sectional staff, and even the three-sectional staff is incredibly hard to use because the other two parts that are, anytime you're only using, you're only grabbing onto one part, so yeah. you have to pay attention to the other two parts, yeah. and it's. It's incredibly confusing sometimes as you're spinning it. It's like, oh, shoot, I have to do this or it's going to knock me out. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, even just from a three-sectional staff point of view, yeah, it, it can be very confusing, uh, especially when you're first starting out, on how to swing it. Yeah. So, yeah, I can agree. Well, 
Uh, this has been awesome having you on, Brian. Uh, just as last time. Uh, maybe even better this time. <laughs> cool. cool. Yeah. Had a blast. Um, anything else, guys? <laughs> I want to I want to encourage you to uh, take on uh, sexism and keep going with sex in the Bible. Maybe Fifty Shades of Grace. Oh. Oh. <laughs> How long has that been brewing, Mike? You guys moved on to the political aspect way too fast, and I'm just like, oh come on. That was good though. That was really good. Oh my God! I wouldn't great. doubt it if there is a Christian ripoff already. Not <laughs> if not, there will be after this airs. <laughs> yeah. Steve, I, I just um, just uh, I just took a lot in today, and I'm like, wow! <laughs> right? I, got, I have a lot to chew on this week. So please check out not just not just Bible Over Brews, but Gadawa.com. Yes. <laughs> Gadawa.com. For some brilliant he has free articles on there. Uh, you can find his books on there, his audiobooks on there, all of his research, uh, his 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 past and, and and his future inside film and literature. So please check out Gadawa.com and check us out at BibleOverBrews.com. You can find us on all the major social networks, including Facebook, Pinterest, Google+, Twitter, <laughs> you name it, we're on it. Drop out. Right? <laughs> have a good night. All right, have a good one. All right. So long. So long.